You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. So you can open your Bibles again over to John chapter 5. We're in this series on gospel gleanings and um, cool. It's this, it's, that's what's supposed to show up there every morning, by the way. And uh, we've been, it's been stubborn lately. That's way better than that stupid little thing that usually shows up. Um, okay, John chapter 5, did you find it? Uh-oh. Anybody find John 5? It's in your Bible, near the front of the New Testament, about the fourth book in. We've been on this. I, I feel like I could have, we are going to, we may even get to John chapter 6 this morning, but um, I feel like I could have called this gleanings from the Gospel of John. I mean, there's just been so much in this particular uh, part of this, so much just in John chapter 5 that we've been looking at. And let, I want to just touch on uh, a couple things we talked about last week because we, we I didn't get, there were a few statements I felt like I needed to come back and, and make. We were looking at particularly these two verses as Jesus was conversing with these people where he talked about the fact that he only did what he saw the Father doing and he only said what he heard the Father saying. He talked about, uh, he said that in John chapter 5, verse 19. Um, and then in John chapter 5, verse 30, and, and I'm reading this from the Amplified Bible, he said, I'm able to do nothing from myself independently of my own accord, but only as I am taught by God and as I get his orders. Even as I hear, I judge. I decide as I am bidden to decide. As the voice comes to me, so I give a decision. And my judgment is right, just, righteous, because I do not seek or consult my own will. That was the real key part of this. I have no desire to do what's pleasing to myself, my own aim, my own purpose, but only the will and pleasure of the Father who sent me. And we saw there that this particular word, we discussed this last week, I'm not going to go into it all, but this particular word for judge means to discern or discriminate between good and evil. So Jesus is saying, the, what I said, when I say, when I give you truth, okay, I tell you what's good, I tell you what's evil, when I discriminate between those two, it's accurate. Why? Because I'm not consulting my own will. I am just giving you what the Father says, okay? The same thing is true for us. Our moral clarity, if we want to call it that, our understanding of what truth is, because truth is not malleable. You know, I know that's popular in our culture today. It's been coming for a long time. Truth is relative. You have your truth. I have my truth. That's not the truth. Truth is truth. If, if truth is relative, it's not truth. I mean, it immediately is not truth. Truth is God's definition of reality. Jesus said, your word is truth. Father, your word is truth. And the Greek word there means the, the, what lies at the basis of reality. It doesn't change. So if we're going to be able to, to have clear discernment of good and evil, clear discernment about what's truth, what isn't truth, we have to carry around this same attitude. I'm not, when, when something comes my way, an idea, a thought, uh, 
habits, something, you know, that our culture is throwing up, something even that, that I hear somebody preach, whatever it is. When that comes, my decision about where does that fall? Is that life or death? Is that good or evil? Is it whatever it is? I have to be going to the Lord. I can't be saying, what I'm checking with first is my will. Does this fit with my agenda? Does this make me comfortable? Does it not make me comfortable? You know, somebody who is consulting their own will is evaluating things and evaluating truth based on, is it what I want to be true? Instead of realizing, no, what God says is true is true. And I need to conform to that. I need to adapt my thinking and my activities and the way I view life to that. Instead, a person who's consulting their own will is going to go, well, what do I want to be true? What would I like to be true? What makes me the most comfortable? What fits with my agenda? Here's the way I want to live. I'm just going to go out and try to find a truth, in air quotes, that fits with that. That's what it looks like when we're seeking our own will. And Jesus said, I don't do that. Even Jesus said, I don't do that. And so we've, what he's laying out for us here is living a lifestyle where we're seeking to know. We're seeking to know God, period. We're seeking to know who he is and understand that his nature is truth. His word is truth. And so my pursuit of him is about knowing him. And in knowing him, and this is important, I am not just seeking that, and I, I don't want anybody to misunderstand me here. I'm not going to allow myself to get into a mode of simple so hard to say this without being misunderstood, where it's not just, I see something, I obey it. Okay, give me the instruction, God, I'll obey it. It's, it's just, you know, what you, what you say, I will do. There is, a, there is a place for that. But in order to know God's will, let me, let me back up a little bit, see if I can get myself untangled here. We know, we learn God's general will, okay, from his word. We learn who he is. We, we see who he is. His nature and his word are the same. Whatever he's going to say is his will goes right along with his nature and it goes right along with his written word. All right. So we get his general will and who he is. And again, we can see what's good and what's evil, what he considers good and evil, things like that from his word. Getting his specific will for our lives, like, should I be an astronaut or a dentist? You know, I, or should I live in this city or that city? Or those kinds of things. That's a process of walking with him. But it begins with having a, an open heart and, and wanting to know what's his will. And that begins with believing he's a good God. He has he has purposed something for me. He has designed me for that. 
And as I walk with him and that unfolds over time, it's just that it just isn't one of those things we kind of want to get to whatever, you know, 16 years old and have God say, this is my will for your life. Okay, you know, go do it. This is all of it. Here it is. Here's the whole picture. Here's the beginning. Here's the ending. It just doesn't happen that way. God loves relationship and he walks with us and he speaks to us and he opens his word to us. And so through a process with his word and with the Holy Spirit and with, and with good times of intimacy with God and, and uh, all of that, okay, we discover his specific will for our lives. But that's more of an unfolding, okay? We never want to get to the place where all we're doing is looking for instruction and I will try to obey it. Instruction and I will try to obey it. That's not what the Lord has for us. So to find God's will for your life, I believe one of the biggest keys is to just seek to know him and spend time with him and know him and think about as you're in the word, as you're just interacting with God, what pleases him? We want to live a life that pleases him. If I'm focused on what pleases him, I don't have to think very much about what he requires. Does that make sense to you? If I'm thinking about what pleases him, what he requires will take care of itself. And, and so we can get in this place where all we're thinking about is, what does God require of me? What does he require? Like, like he's just such a slave driver and he's not, but he does. Truth is truth. Life works according to his design. And so if we want to walk in his will, and we want to walk in his blessing, we want to do that kind of thing. Our place is to get to know him. And as we're getting to know him, to figure out what pleases him. You know, I was, um, I was the last kid of five kids. And so I watched all my older brothers and sisters go through stuff and do stuff. And by the time I came along, I pretty well knew what pleased my parents and what didn't please my parents and, and, and what the ramifications of both of those things were, you know. This doesn't mean that I always did the thing that pleased my parents. But we did have, I won't say it. To some degree, I just learned to hide things better. But I learned more what to hide. So that's not, that's not a God thing, okay? That does not fit in what we're talking about. But we had more peace in the house than like when my oldest couple of brothers were there. I think my parents had figured out what pleased them and what had, didn't please them also. But it was like once I knew there were just a lot of things, I just didn't even try that. I just, I didn't even push those, try to push those boundaries because it wasn't going to fly, you know? I, I knew it pleased them. And so we had a lot of, there was a lot of peace in the house by then. And uh, so, I, you know, to some degree, that's a lousy example, but to some degree, it's the same way with the Lord. You know, if we if we know what pleases him, this is why Paul prays that, that we'd live a life pleasing to him. Because if we're, if we're living and focusing on God, what would put a smile on your face today? You're not going to have to worry about requirements. Okay, does that make sense to you? So if you're trying to discern the will of God, just start there. You know, just, just start uh, going along there and, and see. Because... Um, you know, and we just have to realize that the world has a completely different set of values than we do. And and uh, there's just such a high value put on um, 
happiness, for example. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the highest goal in life for the world is happiness. I'm not saying that we should be unhappy. We shouldn't. We should be full of joy. But when we make happiness always being, always being fulfilled, always being content, always being comfortable, never being offended, when we start making that stuff the goal of our life, we get off track, you know? And, and when we use feelings as our highest guide, you know, how I feel about something, well, sometimes I, I don't. It's really challenging to see what the Lord has in store for us. Sometimes it's really challenging to see where he wants to lead us. It's going to require faith, right? It's going to require me trusting him and stepping out and walking with him. And, and that can be challenging. It might not feel good to my emotions, but I know in my heart it will produce the most fruit. It'll be the best. It'll be the most satisfying life. I'm convinced of that. So I can say yes to it. But if you have your feelings out there as, as well, does this make me happy? Does this just make me, you know, does this, you know, how do I feel about this? If that's your guide for life, you're not going to find, you're not going to walk in the will of God for your life. Okay, so, so we just need to get some of these things straightened out. But, but bottom line, Jesus had this and he said, look, you know, here's how I am living. He's the son of man during his ministry on the earth. He is our representative. He is living in a way that we can live. Yes, he's Jesus. Yes, he's the son of God. But he's living his life on earth as the son of man. He's in submission to the father. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's in, he's in constant communication with the father. And he's producing all of this fruit. That's an example for us. Okay, let's let's move on here into some other verses. So just on down in John chapter 5, I want to look at a couple of verses here. And Jesus gives us a bunch of keys here to keeping the word of God alive in our hearts. Okay, and so if we, um, I need to back up just a little bit here from what I have on your screen. Jesus... Let's see, I'm going to change versions here. Hang on. Jesus came down and again, his goal here is trying to communicate with a group of religious leaders and and people under the old covenant that he is the Messiah and that in following him, they will have eternal life. Okay, and so that's his goal. And in many ways, I mean, through all of these chapters, John 5, 6, 7, 8, He's very challenging. He does not withhold truth from them. I mean, there are places where he just puts it right in their face. But he comes down here and he gives us uh, really four witnesses because, you know, under it's true anytime, but under the old covenant, I mean, that was one of the, one of the rules, was, you know, something, a truth had to be established by more than one witness. Okay. And so Jesus comes down here and he gives uh, four witnesses really. And and we'll just read through it real quickly. First, he talks about John the Baptist was a witness to him. And and essentially John represents all the Old Testament prophets. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets. So he says, uh, I think that's in about what, verse 35, 36 in there. He says, 
that John was his testimony, was a witness of who Jesus is. Then he mentions the miracles, the work that he calls it, the work that I'm doing or the works that I'm doing. He mentions miracles. Miracles are always, they point to the person. They point to who God is. They point to his power. They point to to his authority and to who he is. So he mentions the miracles. He mentions the Father. He says that the Father is a witness to him. And, and specifically there, he's talking about at his baptism when the Father spoke and people heard it audibly, when the Holy Spirit came down upon Jesus and people heard the Father audibly say, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. And then he says, and also the Scriptures. And he talks to them about that. And we're going we're gonna to look at a couple of things with this. So as, as he talks about the scriptures, he comes down to verse 37. Are you still with me? And it says, The Father who sent me uh, has himself testified concerning me. Not one of you has ever given ear to his voice or seen his form. I'm reading from the Amplified. Or his face, what he is like. You have always been deaf to his voice and blind to the vision of him. That's pretty straightforward. And in verse 38, he says, And you have not his word, his thought, living in your hearts, because you do not believe and adhere to and trust and rely on him whom he has sent. Okay? You do not have his word. What's up on your screen? Okay, the scripture abiding in you, actually living in your hearts and minds, because you do not believe in him who he has sent. So what he's, he's saying there is, he's saying the scripture doesn't abide in you. That's that Greek word we've looked at many times, the Greek word meno, M-E-N-O. That word describes the act of making a permanent home someplace. Jesus is saying, my word or the Father's word does not have a permanent dwelling in you. You've heard it. You know, you, you see the scriptures, you have the scriptures. He's going to talk more about that. But it's not actually living in you. When something's living, right, things that are alive grow. Things that are alive produce. Things that are alive change. So if the word's living in us, it's going to be producing something on the inside of us. This word also, and, and listen to this, this word meno, this, his word does not abide in you. That word also describes creating an atmosphere that would make someone feel welcome in your home, welcome to settle down in your home. There's this idea of permanent dwelling. So it's the idea of making someone feel so comfortable that they would feel like they never have to get up and leave your home. Now, you may not want to do that at home, okay? But we do need to do that with the Word. This is the atmosphere that we're supposed to create. So think about that. Somebody's coming to your home. You want to make them feel real comfortable. We, we want to know, again, what makes them comfortable. We want to set an atmosphere where they feel comfortable. What a lot of us do, myself included, okay? Somebody's coming into our home a lot of times what we do is we, we clean up part of the home, but we just close the other doors, <laughs> you know? Let's just close the door to that room. I really don't want anybody looking. Oh, we better close the door to that room, close the door to that room, okay? The problem, that's okay at home. 
in my opinion, okay? That's okay at home, but the problem is when we do that with our lives, when we do that with our hearts, when we start saying, Jesus, you are welcome. Come live in me. Settle down, dwell in me. I want your word. I come to your word. I want your word in me. But I don't, I don't really want your word in my financial life. I don't want your word in my entertainment life. I want to do whatever I want, so I'll just close that door. I don't want your word, uh, you know, in my business life, in my sex life, uh, in my marriage, in my whatever. We start closing doors in those areas so that we're not receiving the word for those areas of our lives. And the word contains the life of God. And so if we want his life and his blessing and what he has designed for us in a certain area of our life, we need to welcome his word into that place. And we need to have that door open. And if that means that he's going to come in and he's going to start rearranging the furniture and he's going to start cleaning things up and there are things that are going to go in the trash and other things that are going to come in that he's going to bring in, wonderful things he's going to bring in to that area, so be it. Because he is going to make that room better than I could have ever made it, right? I mean, isn't that why we're doing this? Isn't that why you're here <laughs> this morning? It's because we believe he has the, the abundant life. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. Well, he's saying, You've never, you don't have the word living in your life. Why? Because you haven't accepted the messenger. Okay, so what he's saying is one of the keys for us in receiving his word into our lives, one of the keys for us in that is we've got to continually make him welcome in our life. And as we get to know him more and more and more, we just need to continue welcoming him into our life. We're going to find it really hard to have his word living in us if we're not welcoming the author of the word. Does this make sense to you? Okay. Um, And the same thing, we say we want Jesus living in our life, but sometimes we're not, we're not wanting, we're rejecting big parts of his word. And there's a lot of that going on right now in our culture, in our country, in the church, in this, in this age that we're living in. There are a lot of folks that will flat out tell you that, yes, I follow Jesus, but I don't, the, you know, the Bible, I don't, I don't believe the Bible. The Bible, and this may or may not, it bears witness to me, may or may not be the best way to say this. The Bible is the word of God. If it's the word of God, it is Jesus in written form, okay? It is Jesus in written form. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. We have his person living in us to open up what's in the word to us. It is a personal relationship, but those two work together. So when we're saying, when, you know, I know people personally that have have decided basically the only part of the Bible they even have anything to do with is their misunderstanding of the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And they've made that out to be something it isn't. They have a whole different Jesus than the one that's in this Bible. Okay, they have a Jesus that, 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 that everything's fine. You can live any way you want to do. That's just not the 
Bible of the, uh, the Bible of the Jesus. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. It is, he's not condemning either. He's not controlling. He's none of those things, but he is truth and he is life and he is the way to the Father. It is who he is, okay? So if we're not accepting him, we're gonna have a really hard time with his word, okay? So, so the positive uh, bent on that is if I wanna have the word living and producing on the inside of me, then I'm going to just continually welcome the author and say, I want you here. I want to know you better. I mean, that's going to be my attitude. Does that make sense to you? All right. So he goes on in verse 39 and he says, you search and you keep on searching and examining the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And yet those very scriptures testify about me and still you're unwilling to come to me. That's interesting because it's not like these people were not, I realize the Bible that we know hadn't been written, but I'm just going to use that term. It's not like they weren't Bible people, like they weren't scripture people. They were scripture people. It was the attitude toward the scripture that made it a dead word instead of a living word. It made it just a set of laws and instructions. And that's what, again, he's not just saying this to make them feel bad. He's trying to open their eyes to something more than what they had at the time. But he says, you diligently examine the scriptures, but those scriptures point to me. And so, I mean, this is a simple lesson, but every time we go to the word, we need to be asking, Lord, show me more about yourself in the word. Show me more about who you are. I want to know you better. I want to know you better. And this is your word. These are your thoughts. And so as I come to this word, show me more. Reveal who you are. So life or life with the Lord, it isn't just about knowing the Bible. It isn't, we can know the Bible and be really legalistic. We can know the Bible. I know people who know the Bible way better than I do and are just mean people. I mean, they're just critical, judgmental, mean people. They know the Bible, but they're not engaging with the author. And, and so it's not just about that. It's not just about memorizing scripture. Those are good things to do. Knowing the Bible is good. Do you hear me saying this? <laughs> Knowing the Bible is good. Memorizing the Bible is good. But in that, we need to be engaging with the author so that we're getting the life out of it. We're getting his heart implanted in us so that that word's actually living on the inside of us, okay? So the attitude that we approach the scripture with has everything to do with this. So go to the next one, uh, next verse that I have. It's down in John chapter eight because he makes somewhat the same statement down here. John chapter eight, verses 37 and 38 in this discussion, they were coming back and they were, they were saying, hey, we're Abraham's offspring. In other words, we're Jews, we're Abraham's descendants, therefore God is our father, all right? And he's coming back and saying, takes a bit more than that, all right? He's, and so here he says, I know that you're Abraham's offspring, yet you plan to kill me, Okay. So, so that he's, I think he's saying that is not fruit of, 
a good relationship with God. Yes, I know you're Abraham's offspring, yet you plan to kill me because, why? Because my word has no entrance. It makes no progress. It does not find any place in you. I tell you the things that I've seen and learned at my father's side and your actions also reflect what you have heard and learned from your father. He's saying your father, the devil, which they figure out here pretty quick. So he says, so here they are. They're scripture studiers, but they come face to face with the Messiah and their bent is we got to get rid of this guy. Okay, he's, he's messing with our system. He's messing with our understanding. Jesus is trying to break through with a fresh understanding of God, of covenant, of who he is. And they're saying, we've got to kill this guy. We've, we've got to get rid of him. He says, the reason for that, the reason that attitude exists in you is because my word has no entrance or makes no progress in you. Okay, so we have this phrase, the word makes no progress in us, all right? And, and what that means, that means to make progress, it means to have or be given room to spread out, to go forward or to grow. So he's talking about a hard attitude toward the word that says, again, this is a restrictive, close a bunch of doors in the house attitude toward the word. All right, it's a restrictive, limiting, throttle it back type of attitude toward the word of God. I, I'm, I'm on the outside, I'm in church. I, am, I have my Bible, I have all of that on the outside. But on the inside, I'm not giving that word room to spread out, encompass more, have more influence in my life. I'm not giving it room to go forward. I'm not giving it room to grow, okay? That's my attitude toward it. It's like, Jesus, I want you to come in. I want you to be welcome here in this entryway. Just set up. I'm going to make a table right here for you in our entryway. I want you to feel right at home. Just don't go in the living room. Don't go in the kitchen. Don't go in the bedroom. Don't go. Any of those would just stay out of my bedroom, Okay, just stay out of my bedroom. There's stuff there I don't want you to see that I want to keep doing. Okay, don't turn on the TV because I don't want you to see what channel. Don't look in my computer. Don't look at my checkbook. Just stay here in the entryway. Do you feel welcome? That's the attitude. And the result of that, the result of that was you plan to kill me. I mean, that's pretty extreme. You plan to kill me. You're my enemy. And the reason a person could get there is because they're not, they're in religion. They're not in a relationship with Jesus and they're not welcoming the word and allowing it to grow in their life. Does this make sense to you? I know this isn't a super happy message today, but it's true. These are, these are real keys. You can just turn every one of them positive if we want to have that real living relationship and fulfill his purpose for our life and walk in his will and all of that, we just have to turn that around and say, Lord, bring that word in and whatever, I'm inviting you to challenge me. I'm inviting you to tear down anything you want to tear down and build up anything you want to build up because I know who you are. I know you are a good God. You have the very best for my life. You died for my sins 
when I, I didn't even, there was even, I wasn't even here, but there was no even thought in my mind of accepting the work that you did. You did it anyway. You've given yourself to me. You've given your word to me. You've given your spirit to me. You have the best life for me. And from that, he calls us his dear children. He calls us the righteousness of God in Christ. He calls us his family. He set us in the earth and, and, and gave his authority to us and involved us and partnered us in his work of spreading the kingdom in the earth. I mean, he's done about everything that he can do. And from that, I can trust him enough to say, Lord, my heart is open. And if it's not, if I've still got a door shut and I'm not aware of it, show me. I'll open it. I know where the key is. I will open it. And it's so interesting that he waits, that we have the scriptures in Revelation where he stands at the door and knocks. He could just blow the door down, but he doesn't. He waits. He wants to partner with us. He wants our willingness. Does that make sense to you? So, and uh, I'll just refer to this rather than go and read it. But if you go over and you look at again at um, Romans chapter Eight, verses six through eight. I lied. I'm going to go read it. Romans eight. We'll finish up with this. You guys doing okay? All right. I'll take it your word. Romans chapter eight. I'm going to start in verse six. Sometimes we look at these kinds of things and we think, oh, this is about somebody else. But we need to realize we have potential in in all these things that we're looking at this morning. Romans chapter 8, verse 6. Again, I'm going to read it from the Amplified Bible. So if you don't have one, you might just want to listen. It says, the mind, Now the mind of the flesh, which is sense and reason without the Holy Spirit. I've always thought uh, that was a really interesting phrase for the Amplified Bible to put in there. This is the definition of the mind of the flesh. It's It's human reason and sense, living by our senses, what seems like it should be right, okay, without the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's the mind of the flesh, okay? It says uh, the mind of the flesh is death, death that comprises all the miseries arising from sin, both here and hereafter. But the mind of the Holy Spirit is life and soul peace, both now and forever, That's because the mind of the flesh with its carnal thoughts and purposes is hostile to God, for it does not submit itself to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So those who are living the life of the flesh, catering to the appetites and impulses of the carnal nature, cannot please or satisfy God or be acceptable to him. So Paul in his writings, and I'll just just a couple paragraphs on this, Paul in his writings describes our mind, and he's really talking about our soul, our mind, our emotions, and our will. It's the seed of our intellect, our desires, our passions, our our choices, those kinds of things. That's what the word mind means there. He says your mind, that part of you, can be influenced. Again, it's not just the intellect. It's all of that part of you, that soul on the inside, can be influenced, is being influenced, either by the flesh which is the, the part of us that's unrenewed. It is the seat of human desire and thought and that kind of thing. So your mind can be influenced either by the flesh or by the Holy Spirit. And the two influences, I mean, whichever influence you give yourself to, it results in a whole different set of fruit. And this says that if we're living 
under the influence of the flesh, just what my old flesh wants to do. If we're living under that, it says it produces a, con- a condition of hostility toward God. Uh, the King James there says enmity. You become the enemy of God. Well, that's what was going on back in John chapter 8. Yeah, we want to kill him. Okay, that's our response to truth coming and standing before us and demonstrating the love of God, the power of God, who he was. He gave us four witnesses that point to he's the Messiah. And here we are and we search the scriptures and we study the scriptures. But when we're really confronted with it, our response is, got to get rid of this guy. That's the mind of the flesh. And, And here Paul is telling us that we can live from that carnal nature. Even as believers, we can choose to live out of that carnal nature and we will become hostile to God. We'll find a different way. We'll justify ourselves. We'll justify our sin. We'll justify what we want to do. We won't live that life that's pleasing to God. But if we will just turn that around and welcome the influence of the Holy Spirit through his word, through his presence in our lives, then we'll begin to live a life that's pleasing to God. And it's not us seeing all the seeing all the design and doing it, making ourselves do it, figure out how to make it happen on our own. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. So what we give our minds to, what we give our souls to, what we look at, what we listen to, what we spend time with, the, the, the arguments and the, the theories and the philosophies that we embrace in our lives, that stuff's really important. This is real the Holy Spirit, the spiritual world is real. We can't. And I'm just, I'm saying this. I was thinking about this yesterday. I was on a ride and I was just thinking about all you guys. And just thinking, you have no idea how much I love you and I care about you. Because I'm not the ooey gooey gushy pastor that's, you know, there at your door hugging you every day. I'm not that guy. Sorry. But God does something on the inside of a person when he calls us to people. And, so, and I feel this way about people in this valley I've never met. But they are here. And there's this, uh, I want more than anything for them to grab hold of the life that God has for them. And to live it and enjoy it and be blessed in it and spread it out to other people. And a lot of these philosophies and this junk that is being put in, and it is not being forced on us. We are choosing it. I can change the channel on my television. I can decide what my computer points at. I can decide what conversations I'm going to have. I can decide how much news I'm going to news I'm going to feed into my life and how much of that word I'm going to feed it. I get to choose all that, and so do you. So we're never going to get there before Jesus and say, well, it was just the culture. It was just pushed down my throat. No, I opened my mouth. If it was pushed down my throat, I opened my mouth. Okay, is this, is this okay? All right, so this, I just, I can't even say it. I mean, not that I'm, I, I can't express what I'm feeling on the inside right now. This stuff is real. People are coming to Jesus and living the life he has for him, and people are dying and going to hell. 
And we are the church of Jesus Christ. We are carriers of his presence and his word and his life. And we know he's good. We don't even think he's mean. And we need to be feeding on him and being built up in him and not giving ourselves to a bunch of carnal junk that just feeds that side of our our life so that we can live that life that's pleasing to him. I can't, I'm not even coming close of expressing what I feel like the Lord's putting in my heart right now. I'm going to quit. I'm going to stop. Let's stand up and pray. I hope you got something out of this. This was definitely a spew day. Okay. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Oh, spewing can be very good. I'm just saying. It's one of those days. Thank you, Lord. (sighs) Father, I just feel so much your heart for this people and for others. Lord, and, and yeah, we're living where we're living and we're living in the time we're living. But you know what? There are tremendous opportunities out there in front of us. Your church shines in darkness. And Lord, we want to be those people, not to draw attention to us. We want you to get all the attention and all the glory. And Lord, as we go out every week into the world, Lord, we want to carry life. We want to hold out life and freedom and and just purpose, Lord, to the people around us. Everyone we know, our friends, our families, our co-workers, Lord, we want every one of them to come to know you in a personal way and to live the life that you have created them for. And so, Father, as we go out of this place today, Lord, I pray, first of all, help us, Holy Spirit, help us, Holy Spirit, to know what to focus on, how to best uh, welcome the word of God, welcome your life into our hearts. If there's any door we've got closed in our hearts, Lord, we give it over to you right now. And we say in the name of Jesus, come in, come in and do whatever you want to do in this house, because this is your house. You bought it. You live in it. I just live in here with you. So Father, as we go out as the church, I pray, Father, we would have constant opportunity to share your life with people. Lord, and that, Father, in this valley, in this time, in our lives, wherever we go, Lord, that you would be magnified, that you would be glorified, that you would be represented well. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. I went a whole different direction than I thought. All right. You ready to go out and have some snacks? We have snacks. Everybody okay? You guys all right? We can start over. Go ahead and sit down. We'll start over. No. Okay, we'll say it on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world will be dismissed. As always, there are some great snacks out there. Hang around, get to know some people. It'll be good. All right, one, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Hey, Boyd's speaking to you next Sunday. Boyd Peterson's going to come with the word. I'm going to be up in Montana. So pray against rain. See ya. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.